0: Welcome to the Acadia Divinity College Chapel podcast. I am Stuart Blythe, a member of the Faculty at ADC and the Dean of Chapel. Here, you'll get a chance to hear perceptive and powerful sermons, which were delivered by staff, faculty, students, alumni, and guests, as part of our weekly Wednesday Chapel services. Thank you for that wonderful reading appreciate that. Part of what I'm doing today is I am demonstrating to my students what I'm having them do in class. So they're making presentations on leadership from the books of Judges and Samuel. And so I'm going to preach from the book of, Sam, or of Judges, um, a hard passage. Wasn't that gruesome? Um, I preached on this on Sunday, and there were actually gasps in the congregation. Clearly, some people had not read it. <laughs> In 2001, my son Ryan and I went to Istanbul, Turkey to evaluate and advise a small Bible college there about its library, how to manage it, how to develop its library for the the good of the students. We also took an 11 hour bus ride to another city just outside the, the ancient city of Ephesus, the city of Selçuk, where there was a second Bible college where I also went to advise on their library. Plans were made, the tickets were purchased, and I was supposed to get me and Ryan to the bus very early in the morning. We arose before light, and soon we were headed out upon up across the Yistaklao Cadesi, a wide pedestrian street. <clears throat> pedestrian street being important here. But as we walked, I realized that we hadn't left quite enough time. We might miss our bus. We walked more quickly. But carrying backpacks, and I always have my camera bag with me, um, it was difficult. Ryan told me just yesterday that, or the other day, that it's the only time in life when he has actually seen his father fret. I was concerned. And then, and it still boggles my mind, this is early in the morning, there's nobody on the streets anywhere. Out of a side street onto this pedestrian way comes a taxi. And out of this taxi, it stopped about 15 meters ahead, out of this taxi stumbled four or five young men. They were wearing bright clothing. They were wearing various kinds of makeup. They were laughing. They were either drunk high or they had just been reveling all night and were still having a great time and they stumbled their way across the street. I took a little bit of notice of them, but my eye was really focused on that taxi. It was an answer to the prayer I hadn't prayed. (laughs) What are the chances? A couple of minutes sooner, we might have been able to, or we might not have been able to get to it in time. The taxi could have stopped and then driven off. A few minutes Too late, and it would have been behind us. We might not have seen it there.
1: I certainly wasn't
0: expecting it. I was rushing along, fretting. But the timing was perfect. At those wee hours of the morning, when we had no expectation of any help, we got to the bus terminal on time with not a lot of time to spare. Can I say it? God's timing was perfect for my mistake. Have you ever been surprised? Maybe you have been in some unlikely uh, situation. Maybe you were in a situation where you really had no good options. And then out of nowhere comes a solution that you would never have dreamed of, like a taxi at that time of the morning. It can happen to individuals. It can happen to congregations. When in a crisis, sometimes our God can get smaller and smaller and smaller as we struggle, frustrated, trying to figure out what it is that we can do to solve our problem. And thankfully, God can surprise us when we're not expecting God at all. The Bible is full of surprises, unexpected turns of events, impossible schemes. Moses parts water by raising a rod, and the ground dries and they walk across. Who expected that? Jesus is confirmed as dead by the Romans who were experts at doing this, and three days later he's raised from the dead. Who expected that? Paul is on the road From one place to another to persecute Christians. And before he gets there, he is a Christian himself. Who saw that one coming? Paul certainly didn't. The book of Judges is filled with difficult events. This one that we've been reading from this morning that I'm teaching on uh, this term. The people of Israel had abandoned God. And it was just going from bad to worse. From the beginning of the book to the end of the book. God's people were in chaos, they had poor leaders, they had very little in the way of ethical moorings, no one was teaching God's law, and more and more God was leaving them to live with the consequences of their decisions. Going from bad to worse, the book ends with these words, in those days there was no king in Israel, and all the people did what was right in their own eyes. As they were going along, like me that day, fretting on what to do, um, going faster was the solution. God was not in my thoughts. The book of Judges is an expose of bad leadership and what happens when God's people and God's pastors and religious leaders don't teach what God wants. But today's passage is a little different from some of the others. It's, it has some surprises to it. And those surprises are what I want to look at because um, we need to be surprised by God. And we need to be ready for God to surprise us. I'm going to look at four brief character studies. There are two generals, the men. There are two women. There are two Israelites. There are two non-Israelites. And we learn something from all of these. Some lessons are good, some lessons are difficult. Let's begin with the men. Barak was the judge or the general of the army of farmers. The prophet Deborah summoned him and gave him a message from God Go take position at Mount Tabor. Bring 10,000 from the tribe of Naphtali and from the tribe of Zebulun. I'll draw us this route, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the Wadi. Kishon, with his chariots and his troops, and I'll give them into your hand.
1: Well, I can just imagine the thoughts going through his mind. Well, that's just plain stupid.
0: You might think, or might expect, that a woman would come up with such a stupid idea. Take my troops to the high grounds, this band of farmers, and then descend down the hill to what? Into the plain where the chariots are. But that's not what he says. What he says is that he won't go to battle unless she goes, and he will not put his and his men's lives on the line unless she puts her life on the line too. That's what he's saying. And then, if God's actually in this, she's going to come and then he can be assured that maybe this is going to work. Now, Barak wasn't just a man of little faith. He actually had some rationale for what he was thinking here. In the next chapter, which is a poetic version of this one, in Judges chapter 5, verse 8, it asks the question, was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? And the answer is no, they didn't have weapons. That's why I said they're a, uh, an army of farmers. They might have had some bronze implements. They seem to have had probably mostly farming tools as their way of fighting. What does Sisera have? Sisera has 900 chariots of iron, more on that later, and he had troops to go along with him. Now, did you hear the instructions that were given to Brack? He was to go to the high ground of Mount Tabor, and then he was to send into the area where those chariots had the advantage. This really was not a good tactical move. It was more like a suicide mission. It wasn't smart. It seems like it was reckless and out of desperation.
1: No wonder Barack didn't want to go into
0: battle, but to his credit, he did. Deborah went along with him and he went into battle, doubtless assuming that there would be massive loss of life, that it was probably something of a suicide mission. Their tactic is what you would call swarming. You swarm the enemy, with as many people as you can in the hopes that you just might be able to defeat them, even though there's a great loss of life. But God surprised Barak and the Israelites. Verses 15 and 16, And the Lord overthrew Sisera and all his chariots and all his army into a panic before Barak. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot, while Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Harosheth Hagoyim, all the army of Sisera fell by the sword. No one was left except Sisera. No one saw that coming. I should think that at the end of the day, Barak was very pleasantly surprised by that turn of events. Sisera, on the other hand, is surprised in different ways. He is the general of an army of non-Israelites that had oppressed Israel for 20 years. Now we're told in verses 12 to 13, some important information. When Sisera was told that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out his chariots. 900 chariots of iron and all the troops who were with him. Sisera carefully calculated how to defeat the Israelites. Chariots is repeated. He was going to take chariots, but these aren't just chariots. These are chariots of iron. We need to remember that this is early on in the Iron Age. Iron was a very precious metal. There were only Hittites and Philistines who could mine it or, and who could smelt it and could turn it into something that was usable. Chariots of iron were the high-tech
1: armory of the day with a rider, somebody steering
0: it with the horse in front, and with probably one archer or two, they were killing machines as the horses, which still were not all that tame, would trample And the wheels that were covered in steel and the front that was covered in steel or iron would run over people. And as the fast slinging arrows were coming, they were killing machines that could kill multiple people, especially if the army was an army of
1: farmers. This morning, um,
0: one of our students, Jackson Dunn, referring to his passage, which wasn't the same as this one, said that in, in military, ground dictates, and ground dictated in this particular war. As Barack and his army descended from their point of advantage and headed down to where those chariots had the advantage, something unexpected happened. In chapter 5, we read about it. We hear about it. God sent a flash flood. The poem says, The earth trembled and the heavens poured. The clouds indeed poured water. The hard ground wouldn't absorb the water. The seasonal stream, Kishon, remember? That's where they were called to. as was the River Kishon. It's a wadi. It's a seasonal stream. Dry most of the year. But in a flash flood, it becomes a raging torrent. The water spreads out over the the ground, out into the Jezreel Valley, which becomes slippery and soggy. And how well do wagon wheels and horses function in that? Not well at all. The high-tech equipment is undone by rain. To quote, One of our other faculty, Leonard Anderson, surprise. (laughs) He was surprised, and he has to run away. And now to quote the songstress of Timmins, Ontario, Shania Twain. Let's go, girls. <laughs> and if you know my musical tastes, it really surprises you.
1: Well, as Sennacherib
0: runs, he chances upon the tent of a woman. And this woman, it just happened to be perfect because this woman's family that she's married into, they have an alliance with King Jabin and Sisera is the general of King Jabin. What luck. But little does he know that this woman, through her marriage and that family, are related to Moses. And as we say, blood is thicker than water, or treaties.
1: Jael is a Kenite,
0: a Bedouin, living in tents, moving about. She, as a mere woman, would have been safe, he thought. What a lucky break. I see him enter the tent, look around, confirm there are no Israelite soldiers or weapons. He's safe here. She covers them over to hide him, demands something to eat. He gets it, tells her, guard me, watch at the door. And he goes into a deep sleep,
1: and she takes care of him.
0: (laughs) JL is not what he expected. She's no passive wallflower. She doesn't shrink before male authority. She's brave, she's stealthy. She invites an army general into her tent. We don't get the implications of this. Armies pillaged and raped. She put her life at danger, but with nerves of steel, she puts this man, this general, at ease. And when the time is right, she dispatched him with a hammer and a tent peg. It is gruesome. And please, don't go thou and do likewise. <laughs> we could say surprise, but of course, <laughs> Sennacherib is not surprised because literally, he doesn't know what hit him. Pun after pun after pun. And with that, a israelite A tent-dwelling woman finished the destruction of the military that had helped to oppress Israel for 20 years. All of his careful calculations had come undone. His chariots of iron had failed, and he had failed to bring enough of the other kinds of troops to take over in such a situation.
1: Maybe, however, the
0: greatest surprise Is a surprise for us. It's glossed over easily as we read through a text like this or as we read through the book of Judges because we come at it with our preconceived ideas of what life was like. We know how Israel can defeat anyone because God is on their side. We've already seen it in the Bible up to this point. And Sisera, as a general, he had it all calculated out and he didn't suspect a woman to be a killer. And Barak, he didn't trust the word of a prophetess. And we're really not all that prepared today for who Deborah is in Israel. Most of us have grown up in churches where women aren't supposed to be real leaders. There has to be a man leading. And so it's easy to read over Judges 4-5 to and miss details and their rather significant implications. At that time, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging. It says leading in some translations. The word is literally is judging. Was judging in Israel. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel on the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came up to her for judgment. Deborah is the only leader in the book of Judges who is a good, faithful religious leader from the very beginning and who remains so at the end. She had already been chosen by God. God was speaking through her. She was a prophet, already had the spirit of God upon her. While other judges are called to judge The intruders into Israel, their oppressors, she was already rendering judges within or judgment within Israel. She was settling disputes. And she didn't force herself on Israel. She was a prophetess. She was judging, and all the people in Israel were coming to her. The significance here is that the elders and the judges in the gate were all being ignored. They were going to this woman, this prophetess, who was. Bringing right judgments, who was respected, who was fair, not taking bribes. It wasn't just the women that came, it was Israel, which generally designates the men. Deborah was the very kind of leader that Israel needed. In the whole of the book of Judges, she is the only truly positive leader. A woman. Was leading Israel. Who saw that coming? But there it is in the Bible. Her resume is something that people have missed for many years. That Deborah is the hero in this story is quite a surprise to us. To quote again, my brother, surprise! (laughs) Who really would have thought of that? She is a surprise, not because God did something marvelous, but because it breaks our own stereotypes of what the world is and should be like. Over 40 years of ministry, I've been surprised by God many times. I've had my stereotypes smashed on many occasions My careful reasoning, reasoned thoughts on why someone would not make a good pastor, smashed, as they're still in ministry many years later. Why someone would make a good pastor, and after just a few years, they're out of ministry. Why some program or outreach approach would not work. And has gone on to minister to people in ways that I never imagined. My ideas smashed. The problem isn't just me as an individual or you as individuals, whether you're here or online. Um, it can also be with congregations. Denominations are famous for those last words. Well, we've never done it that way before. <laughs> well, that's not how it's been done in the past. In the brief New Testament passage read this morning, Jesus gives the illustration of what happens when the kingdom of God is constrained in old wineskins. The wineskins had already had wine in them that had fermented, and it stretches the skin, and then it hardens some on the outside, and as the wine is drunk and the skin is there, if you try to reuse it, it has no more stretch to it. And you put the wine in, and as it ferments, it explodes. Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God cannot be constrained by the old ways. Put new wine of God's new kingdom into those old wineskins and they're going to break. The best plan is to put new wine into new wineskins.
1: We can all get caught, we can all get lost in what it is that we do.
0: We can forget that God is in the mix. We cannot plan for that as if we could plan for God to act. (laughs) A former student of this college of mine went to a royal church. After he was there for a while, he proposed to the deacons that he'd start a ball hockey night for youth. Now, the deacons thought that this was rather a silly idea. There were no children in the area. Despite there being a school across the street from the church. He persisted, having looked at Stats Canada and knowing some other things about it. And on the first night there, as I recall him telling me, there were 47 youth at this event that the deacons didn't think would have be successful. And it went on for a while as a quite successful event on Friday nights in that community. The deacons' world and ministry opportunities were limited by their perspectives. Because they were so caught up in their own little worlds, they didn't see the school across the street. And as he emphasized, They forgot even about their own grandchildren. Mm
1: -hmm. My point in all this
0: is that God cannot, cannot be constrained by our lack of expectations of him. God can work in ways that we would never expect.
1: We can be thankful that
0: even when we don't think through our sound human reasoning with all of our theological ideas behind it and our our leadership materials and our study of the Bible, even with all of that behind us, God can act in ways that we would never have imagined. God doesn't act according to our small expectations. While our conception of God and our expectations of God might be small, the creator of the universe has no limits. That we've never done it that way before doesn't mean that God can't do it that way. That we're focused on the problems doesn't mean that God can't surprise us. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you for joining us in this Acadia Divinity College Chapel podcast. You can follow us on social media. Discover more on our website at acadiadiv.ca or join us for chapel on a Wednesday.